on the scene, we see some uh, new arrivals coming. We've got uh, King Agrippa. So uh, let's, let's look at this uh, passage a little bit in Acts chapter 25, starting in verse 13. And we'll, we'll read what the situation is, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So Acts chapter 25, starting in verse 13. Now when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. So after they had assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man be brought before me. When the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, but they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted was alive. Being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself tomorrow, he said. You shall hear him. So, several days have elapsed, and, and here comes uh, King Agrippa and Bernice. So, it was uh, actually a brother and sister. They were both descended from uh, Herod. So, it's, it's another Herod, King Herod Agrippa. And so, they arrive in Caesarea, and as the custom would have been for, uh, for people in high positions, they, they will go and, and meet with people um, in high position. They're always uh, making their connections and networking for the sake of uh, probably furthering their own careers. Um, so he, they go there and uh, meet with him and pay their respects. And so while they were there uh, spending their time, Festus laid Paul's case before the, the king. So uh, another opportunity uh, to get uh, somebody's input on this case. I think Festus, uh, from what he says here, you know, it, it, he was a prisoner in the next verse that was left by Felix. So I think he's, you know, he's kind of feeling that maybe uh, Felix left his problem for him, right? Here, here's, a, here's a case that's, uh, that's there. Felix could have solved this case easily. He knew, he knew that Paul wasn't guilty of any crime that deserved imprisonment or, or death or any, any of the things uh, like that. But he kept him there. And now Festus is saying, you know, can I get your opinion on, on this situation? Uh, and probably it was good entertainment for them as well. Uh, we know uh, in, in history, uh, these, these sorts of events were, were a big deal. People enjoyed talking about it. Uh, today we do that. You know, if there's a big, uh, you know, person in the news, you know, a famous person, there's something going on, you know, people are, pay a lot of attention to their trial or the situation, uh, want to know what's going on there. So this was a situation like that. Um, and then in... Uh, in the next verse, it says that when he was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders had, had uh, asked him, you know, can we come and bring uh, 
Laarchis, you know, before this, you about this Paul. You know, he's a troublemaker. They, they have lots of things that they, that they say about him, what he's guilty of. Um, they mentioned in here that he was guilty of breaking Roman law. Um, you know, that he was, that would have been a, a, an affront to Caesar, right? That he was guilty of that. Um, you know, some of that may have been the fact that he was talking about Jesus being resurrected because we know that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Um, so that was a problem uh, for them. They accused him of breaking temple law. Um, they thought he brought a Gentile into the inner courts or near the inner courts. And uh, so breaking, breaking the law uh, of the temple, uh, breaking the law of the Jews, um, that was something that they, they were always accusing uh, the Christians of, right? Because they didn't follow the Jewish laws in the same way that the Pharisees would. So they, they were accusing him of breaking all these laws. Um, but when they come, when they come into the, the region and come to present their case, uh, Festus says, I was surprised because they didn't bring the type of charges that I was expecting, right? So he was expecting some sort of really serious charges. I mean, they've kept him in prison for two years, so you would think it would be, it would be something serious. But it appears to have not been too serious um, from, from a Roman law perspective. So uh, he's, he's going to ask for help on this one. All right. Next, when Paul, in verse 21, when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept until I could send him to Caesar. This verse here is really interesting to me because we see, first of all, that Paul, Paul is exercising his rights as a Roman citizen, right? He has the right to appeal to Caesar to go to a higher law. But he's only doing that because he knows that Festus is going to hand him over to the Jews. Festus wants to hand him over to the Jews, just like Felix probably wanted to hand him over to the Jews. Um, so we see in this, this situation, uh, you know, Paul, Paul has appealed, and now Festus has to figure out what to do with the situation. Um, I think sometimes it's difficult uh, to find justice in, in the political systems. Um, you know, we, we look at uh, this situation after two years and they still can't give him justice, right? They've heard all of the arguments multiple times now. Arguments have been made, cases have been presented, and it keeps coming to the same conclusion. They don't have any solid evidence that he's committed any serious crimes um, against Rome, and they can't even prove any of the charges, really, against, uh, against Paul. So what I wanted to talk about today, the title of my message was God and Government, uh, because sometimes I think that when we look at the government, I know this is the case for me, I can sometimes look at it and think there is no justice, right? We see David talk about this numerous times in the, in the Psalms, uh, talking about, you know, look, looking around and seeing people getting away with, with and he was king, but he sees people getting away with, with doing evil and getting away with injustice. And it's something that really bothered him. And, uh, and it, I think it's something that bothers most of us, and, and we're concerned about that. And, and there's a good reason for that, right? We, we live in this world, you know, and we're affected by the things that take place in this world. So I would like to take a look at a few passages um, related to government. And the first thing I would like to talk about is the good of government. Because 
government's a good thing. It's, it's not a bad thing. And sometimes, uh, sometimes it can look like maybe it's not the most effective or efficient or maybe not the most just or honest. But uh, it's a good thing regardless. In Romans chapter 13, um, Paul is writing, and he says uh, in verse 1, for there's no authority except from God. So it's God who gives authority to men. He gives them authority to rule. Um, One of the passages that I was thinking of as well when I was looking at this, I often think about characters in the scripture who, who then had to relate to authority. And Jesus himself stood before the Roman authority when he stood before Pontius. And, uh, you know, when he, when he was there in, in uh, the book of John, uh, the Gospel of John, he was standing before Pontius and they were presenting, the Jews were pre- presenting their case against him. And, uh, and Pontius was quite surprised. His wife had already warned him, you know, don't have anything to do, to do with this innocent man, right? Um, and so Pontius is there, he hears all these things, and then he starts to question Jesus, and Jesus is just being silent about all of the charges brought against him. And then finally he, he says to him, don't you know that I have authority over you, authority of life or death in this situation? You know, he could free him. He had the authority to do it. And Jesus, uh, in the book of John, says, you, you have th- uh, authority because it's given to you from above, Right? You, you would have no authority unless it was given to you from above. And uh, so Pontius then tries even harder to convince the Jews to let him go, right, at that point. Because he understood that what Jesus was telling him was that uh, he has accountability. Because what that means is you're accountable to somebody above you. You can make a decision, but there's accountability. And uh, that's something that uh, is good to remind ourselves of because sometimes we, we can think, okay, these people are just doing stuff and there's no accountability, right? The government uh, is doing things without accountability. Uh, but there is accountability, uh, and we see it all over the place in Scripture. All right, so government is good. We, we see that uh, Jesus upholds the fact that it's good. You know, it's, it's given from above. Um, in, in verse 2 of Romans chapter 13, it says, whoever resists authorities resist what God has appointed. Um, so it's, it's, sorry, I'm jumping around. So, uh, so authority exists, uh, and whoever resists that authority resists God because God appoints that authority. And uh, it's good to be reminded of that because sometimes uh, in my own heart, I feel like I resist. I, re- I resist uh, especially authority that I think is unjust. And, uh, and it's good to be reminded that there's accountability. I don't think it's bad to feel a resistance to injustice, um, but I, I think I also have to recognize that God put them in place for, for a purpose. All right, so the good of government. Um, and then there's the bad of government, right? I mentioned that a little bit already. We see it with Paul that they don't always uh, follow what's just. In the book of Habakkuk, um, we see the, the prophet. He was a prophet uh, in uh, the, the southern kingdom of Judah. And, uh, and he's looking around and he's seen, he's seen the, the problem in his day. The people were turned away from the law of God. 
There was injustice in the land. Um, They were perverting justice. Nobody was really following the Lord, and he was crying out to him about that. God, how how can you allow this to happen? In the land, how can this happen among your people? And um, we see that uh, then the Lord responds to him, and he says, "I'm going to do something that uh, you know that's going to surprise you, basically." And so then he goes in to talk to him about what he's going to do. Um, he's going to send the Babylonians uh, into the land, and they're going to come, and they're going to to bring accountability. They're going to bring punishment to those who are doing evil. And when Habakkuk hears this, he has a very strong reaction to that as well. He looks at it and says, God, how how could this happen? You're taking a a people, summarizing in my language. So uh, you're taking a people who's even worse, right? These these heathen uh, people who, who, who don't worship you at all and have no connection, and you're bringing them here to judge us. And the Babylonians were known for their brutality. Um, I mean, they would come in and just wipe people out and take the ones that they wanted, right? The young and healthy and, uh, and just lay waste to the land. And so he sees that and, and it, he, he can't uh, put that together. Um, and, it's, and it's really bothering him. All right. But the Lord responded to him. And in chapter Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 13, um, it says, Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts, that people, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the Lord is responding to him and saying, look, you know, my glory is going to be spread through the earth like water covers the sea. Um, so even though uh, an ungodly people are coming to punish the people of Israel, God is saying that he's going to, to glorify himself uh, in this situation. Another passage. When, uh, when Paul, again, was speaking to the Romans in chapter 9, verse 17, he said to them that uh, the scriptures said to Pharaoh, for this purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So God raised up Pharaoh for a purpose. You know, the story of Pharaoh at the time of Exodus, you know, Moses goes to set the people of Israel free. Pharaoh just keeps hardening his heart, you know, saying, okay, I'll let him go and then I won't let him go. He just keeps going back and forth and God is bringing judgment. And the Lord says that I did this for this purpose, I raised him up for this purpose, that I could show my power in him and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, I imagine the Israelites uh, at times were questioning, why do we have such a, such a, a difficult, uh, you know, government over us? You know, they were enslaved, about as difficult as it can get. And, uh, you know, and God says, I'm doing it for my glory. Um, so God takes the ungodly, and accomplishes his purposes and his glory still. He glorified himself. If you remember the Israelites, when they came to the land of Israel, the people in the the land had heard about them already. They had heard about their God and what he had done in Egypt, in the land of Egypt. And there was a fear in the land because they knew that the God of the Israelites was 
really, really powerful. Because in those days, Egypt was the superpower. There were, there were, no, there were no rivals to them in, the, in that area, for sure. And, uh, and yet we see that God, by his power, brought out his people. And now he's bringing them to the land of Canaan. Um, so he's being glorified in the world. Um, because that's what he does. He glorifies himself. All right, so the bad. Another, uh, another passage I would like to look at is in J- Daniel chapter 4. Um, if you could bring that one up. I don't want to read all the way through it. Well, I actually do want to read all the way through it, but it will take too long. It's a really good passage. But in this passage, we see uh, King Nebuchadnezzar He's the king uh, that Habakkuk was worried about. You know, he came and he conquered the land of, of, of Judah, took the Israelites back to the land. You know, we know Daniel went there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, they, they were there and all, all of the, the history of that going on. And then in, in Daniel chapter 4, we see that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had his second vision. Um, so he had, he had a vision, he had a dream, and in his dream, he sees this large tree, and uh, animals are living under the tree, birds are nesting in the tree, um, you know, it, it's this huge tree, it's filling the earth, you know, the shade of it is, is creating shade for, for all of these uh, animals, and uh, it's a picture of, of his kingdom. Uh, and his his kingship, he's he's the tree, right? And so, uh, so, but he has this dream, and he's troubled by it, because in the dream, he sees the tree, but then the tree is cut down, and cast aside, and the, the stump of the tree is bound in iron, and uh, and he's really troubled. He doesn't he doesn't know what this dream means, and of course, the uh, wise men can't tell him what it means, so he he's once again reminded. Of Daniel, and Daniel comes to him, and uh, and he listens to the dream, and at first, he doesn't want to tell him. He, he's he's like so so upset about what he hears, um, about this dream, and uh, you know I I think Daniel had an affection for Nebuchadnezzar. It just seems very apparent in in this passage. He had some sort of connection to him. You know, he was a young man when he came, and he was, he was put into the service of Nebuchadnezzar. And I think they had, they had a relationship there at this point. And, uh, and Daniel, I don't think he was speaking out of fear I th- of the king's response to his message. I think he was upset. And in fact, he says, you know, if only this dream could be for your enemies and not for you. You know, he, he wishes that was the case. All right, so let, let's look a little bit here at, what, at what's being said. Okay, so King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he's in the land, and in verse 27, um, Daniel gives him some advice because of this, uh, this dream he, he had. And he said, let this be my counsel, um, and let it be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All right. So Daniel speaks to him, 
And, and he's pretty honest with them, right? He says to them, break off your sins. Stop sinning. Stop sinning, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, it's pretty, pretty brave to tell that to the king. But he, but he tells him that. If you want to avoid this, stop sinning. Stop doing it. And then he goes on, and he says, practice righteousness. Don't just stop sinning, but start living in a righteous way. Start, start doing things that are righteous and just and good. Um, and he says, and stop your, well, end your iniquities. So stop practicing iniquity by showing mercy to the oppressed. The Babylonians weren't known for mercy. They didn't show mercy. Um, and he says, show mercy to the oppressed. And then perhaps there will be a lengthening of your prosperity. So he, he's trying to communicate to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, that you're not really the one who's in control. Not really. You might, you might think you are. You're the king of this powerful empire, but you're not really the one who's in control. So these are the changes you need to make if you don't want this dream to come true that you've had, if you don't want this to happen to you. Um, so then the story goes on. It says in verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. So apparently he didn't change his ways as Daniel suggested. And in verse 29, at the end of 12 months, I was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Bab of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is, this, is not this great Babylon which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. And while the words were still in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall, but shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. That's such a powerful passage. I, I love this passage. So Nebuchadnezzar, ignoring the, the council, continued on, and in his pride he looks at this kingdom, and he thinks, I did this. I did this by my might, by my power, it was my majesty, my leadership, my, my armies that I put together, you know, my wisdom and strategy for defeating all the enemies. You know, he's, he's so puffed up and proud of himself. You know, Bab Babylon was a, a beautiful city. It was a very impressive city. And he's looking around at it, and he's just so proud, so proud of himself. And, and in himself, he's taking all the credit for it. And in that moment, you know, the Lord reminded him, you know, wait a second, wait a second. You did all this. You know, it's God who establishes. It's God who establishes. It's not Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't raise himself up. He, he didn't accomplish all this stuff. Um, you know, it was the Lord who allowed it to take place, and he did it for a purpose. He did it for a reason. Um, you know, and he said, you're going to find out, you know, you're going to know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. All right. 
So Habakkuk, he was really struggling with, with the idea that Nebuchadnezzar was going was gonna to come and rule, right? But God wasn't losing control. God was in control. God was in control. And uh, he's in control today, right? He's in control today. There's, there's no kingdom on earth who is outside of God's hand of control. Um, he raises up leaders. He brings them down. And, uh, and it's good uh, when we have opportunities like Daniel that we can remind leaders of that uh, if we have that opportunity. One of the, the cool things about Paul is that God keeps putting him in these really tough situations that give some opportunities to talk to these people in high places. He actually had opportunities to influence people in high places in leadership and speak to them uh, the gospel. One of, one of the things uh, in, in Acts, that passage that we just read, is uh, I can see from what um, Festus is saying that Paul had preached the gospel again in, in this situation because Festus is going over all the charges, right? And one of them, he says, and there's some debate about this Jesus who, who's dead, but Paul says is alive, right? So Paul is preaching the gospel again. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, right? He's sharing the gospel. He was always sharing the gospel. And next week in the passage, he'll be sharing the gospel, you know, because he'll still be there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, God, it's amazing how God does that. He places his people in positions to be able to affect. They're not always the leader, but they're there to speak to the leader and to, to remind them of their accountability um, before God. You know, because that's the primary accountability. If you make yourself simply accountable to men, that's one of the problems our politicians get into. I don't want to get into politics. But they make themselves accountable to men, and men are divided in their opinions on everything, right? Uh, we should make ourselves accountable to God because God's opinion is what matters. God's opinion is what is just and righteous and good and true. And uh, so it's, it, I'm thankful that God puts people in those positions. So that's something to pray for in our countries, to pray that God will place pastors and place spiritual leaders and place individual believers you know, in the government and in those circles where they can influence those around them, to hold them accountable, to remind them where their power comes from, um, because that's so important. All right. So the bad's not so bad. <laughs> it can be hard to understand sometimes. We look at, we look at somebody who's like, Lord, why did you put this person in power? I do that a lot with historical leaders, with leaders today. I'm like, okay, what was going on there? Um, you know, but to know that God, God in his wisdom, you know, he knows what's going on. He has a plan. Uh, he's accomplishing his purpose and glorifying himself. All right, the next point, point C, the believer's relationship to government. So what about for the rest of us who maybe aren't in that position where we can influence the, the leaders directly? We're not, we're not like Paul who's there speaking to kings and, uh, or like Daniel who's there giving them advice, telling them to repent and things like that. So what can we do? All right. And 1 Timothy is the, the passage I would like to start in. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 
and verses 1 to 4. Okay, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all in authority, all who are in authority, that they may lead, or that we, sorry, they should lead a quiet life too, but that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. All right, so prayer, prayer, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men. How often do we thank the Lord for our leaders, especially the ones that we're not particularly fond of or don't agree with? Do we thank the Lord for them? Do we pray for them? Do we intercede for them? Do we pray for God's blessing for them? Are we like Daniel? Does the idea that harm would come to them upset us? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I always feel that way. But I should, right? I should desire that, that those that maybe are um, in disagreement with me or maybe even like Habakkuk, I would view them as the enemy. I should desire that things like their salvation. I should desire... You know, that God would reach them uh, with his word, that he would change their heart, that he would transform them. Fastest way to transform government right there, right? That they would be saved. All right. But one of the reasons for that is also that we can live a peaceful and quiet life, you know, in godliness and reverence. You know, God, God desires that we live a life that's peaceful, that we have peace, right? His peace passes understanding. So maybe people don't understand why we're peaceful in the midst of the craziness, right, of the difficulty. But God, but God can give us that peace, right? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, we can live in peace. We can live a life of godliness and a life of reverence in a world that doesn't understand what those things are that has perverted and twisted those things. All right. Another passage in, uh, in Romans. We looked at it a little bit earlier. Um, so a little, a little bit of uh, practicalness too. Sometimes we don't like the rules of the government, but Paul says here in verse 1 that we should be subject to them, right? So in, unless it's a situation where we're disobeying God by by subjecting ourselves to, to them, we should be subject to the rulers. We shouldn't be trying to, you know, overthrow them necessarily or, or cause them, you know, difficulty or harm. We, that's not really living in peace with them. Another thing in verse 6, we should pay taxes. <laughs> we should pay taxes. Nobody likes to pay taxes. Another time, <laughs> I get stressed about a few things. One of the things I get stressed about is taxes. Um, I don't know why I get stressed about American taxes. Here, here in Hungary, um, you know, they just take my tax money out, so I, uh, I don't really have to do paperwork. In America, 
I have to buy a computer program every year just to do my taxes. And, uh, and I don't even owe anything, but I, I, <laughs> I do it anyway. I pay, I pay money so I can fill out my, uh, my taxes in the U.S. And it stresses me out. I wish I didn't have to do it. But, um, you know, there's a, a purpose for taxes, obviously. You know, so we can build roads and bridges and stuff like that. But we pay taxes. So that's, that's something that we should do. Um, in verse 7, you know, we should show them respect to who respect is owned. It's hard to be a leader. It's hard to be a leader in any situation. It's hard for me to lead a class of English uh, students. You know, I, I, I sometimes look at the, uh, the headmaster at my school. And I'm like, wow, I'm glad I don't have his job. He deals with so many issues and so many problems. He's a very gracious and good leader. I'm thankful for him as a leader. You know, but the problems that he faces are small compared to what somebody who's leading an entire nation would face. And they're, they're constantly getting input from all kinds of, of, of people who want, want them to do things for them. Um, they deserve our respect because it's a very difficult situation to be in. Um, so when, we, when we're praying for them, you know, we pray, we pray for them, um, you know, that they would have wisdom, but we also show them respect when sometimes they don't do things, uh, you know, that we like, or maybe they make a wrong decision. Maybe they make a mistake. Maybe they weren't uh, trying to do something wrong, um, but it's just a mistake. So showing them respect, and of course, we see Paul showing that over and over again. He's coming before these leaders, and he keeps showing respect to them. He keeps uh, showing them honor, respect, uh, kindness with his words, humility. Uh, he doesn't go after them. He knows that they should let him go, by the way. He's, he's not confused. Paul's not confused about his innocence. Um, and he knows that they're just uh, working behind the scenes you know, to try to, to accomplish some stuff that they want to accomplish. Uh, but he still respects them and shows them respect and honor as well. He honors them for the, their position and shows them respect and honor. So as believers... In life, we, we keep in perspective who, who is really in control. And we show them honor and respect because they're God's servants in this world, right? God established them. And so even when, even when we completely disagree with them, um, we, we still show them respect and honor. All right. I'm nearing the end of my message. I'll find my, my notes all right, so in conclusion, when we see Paul standing before this, we, we know if we've read ahead, this isn't where things end, right? Um, but in our situation that we're in today, that's not the situation how it ends either. Sometimes we look at it and we're like, how is it ever going to change? But it's not the end. And we can trust in a good God whose will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And he works to accomplish his good, pleasing, and perfect will in this wor- world. And he uses leaders, um, as we just saw, to accomplish that. He's moving nations. He's moving leaders. He's moving individuals. He's moving us. Um, He's got it all in his mind. He's not forgetful. He's not unaware of of what's going on. Um, But what he calls us to do is to live godly lives, to lead peaceable lives, to be good leaders um, 
in our families, to be good leaders in our communities, our, severe, our spheres of influence, um, within our classes, if we're, if we're students, um, to be his light there, um, because that's what will influence those around us. Uh, we, we've talked uh, quite a bit, we've been hearing quite a bit about this revival taking place in the U.S. Um, among the students there. Often revivals start among the young. Often they do. But they don't stop there. I mean, our prayer should be that it, just, it moves into the leadership of universities, that that would be transformed, and that that would transform the, the communities that those universities are in and the cities around them and the, and the states and the countries that are sending their, their young people there, you know, to see, to see that kind of change. God, God can do that, and we need to pray for that. But it starts with, with the humility that, that they're showing. They're, they're humbling themselves before the Lord in prayer and asking him to do things in their community. And uh, so I would encourage you today, I mean, revival can, can start, but it starts here. It starts within us. And then as we gather together, then it, it starts to spread. So I would encourage you that. Re, you know, re, have your heart revived. Um, one of the things, uh, I think maybe Pastor, Pastor John posted uh, this, this picture some, somebody thinking, and they had all kinds of thoughts um, in their head, and then uh, and maybe it was related to Mary and Martha, I don't know. But then there was another picture of somebody, and they just had the cross in their mind. And uh, I know for myself, I have to pull away sometimes from, from being caught up too much, looking at all the stuff that's going on in the world, and focus on the Lord who's in, in control, and, and pray to him and ask him to work in this world and to work in my own heart um, and be transformed by that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for being in control. I thank you that uh, there are so many numerous scriptures where we see your hand at work uh, in the lives of your children in scripture, but we also see you working in the lives of unbelievers because you desire to seek and to save the lost. And Father, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves, help us to seek your face, help us to turn away from anything in our lives that would be wicked. Help us to have our thoughts renewed and have our thoughts centered on you and centered on truth and centered on your love. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to produce the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, humility, all of the things that we need, Lord, to, to be your light in this world. I pray produce it in our lives, Father. I pray that you would help us to, to come away uh, from the world's thinking, Father, and that we would think with clarity, that we would think upon true things and noble things and right things and just things because we know that's who you are and what your character is. So I pray that for our lives, Lord. And I pray that as we do that, that our lives would be transformed and that our community of this community of believers, that we would be transformed and we would begin to transform the communities that we live in daily. Father, I just pray that you, your spirit and your word would impact this community here in Debertson and that you would impact the bigger communities around the world as well, Lord, as your children are there seeking your face and seeking your movement. 
I thank you for the fact that you love us. I thank you that your son, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to come and submit yourself even to the governing authorities of Rome and allowed yourself to be punished and crucified, and you did it all for our salvation. You did it all because you desired us, Father, because you loved us. I thank you for the opportunities that we have to speak truth to one another, to have joy in fellowship with you and joy in fellowship with other believers. And I pray that we would really appreciate that and make the most of all of those opportunities that we have, Lord, to, to encourage one another and to pray for one another and to exhort one another. And I pray that our ministries would be effective, Lord. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the fact that you don't leave us without a comforter, um, but that you're always here with us, Father. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.